Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. We are in the season of Lent. Uh, just curious, who here grew up in a church tradition where you practice the season of Lent? Okay, who here, the only thing that conjures your mind about Lent is something you hope not to find in your belly button? Is that anyone? Might, you could raise your hand for both of those if you'd like. Uh, so Lent simply is a season. It's just a season uh, that the church practices. Uh, for our church, we practice two different seasons in our calendar. One is Advent, which is pretty much in the month of December that culminates in, uh, to Christmas. And the other season we'll practice is the season of Lent. The word Lent is an old English word that just simply means springtime. So this is springtime. This is the season of Lent. But it also reminds us of the 40-day journey that uh, for generations people have practiced as they remember Jesus' 40 days in the, in the desert as well as his human experience on this world that will, it will end with Easter. Lent is, be, is supposed to be a time of reflection, a time of honesty, a time of prayer and fasting, and most importantly, a time to return to God again. Uh, so for us, for our church, this season of Lent, it's, we're going to consider the habits that we have formed in our life. Lent is a good time to do that. We're going to look at the habits that fuel our life. I, I really believe that our habits are some of the most powerful things that we have. It really determines so much of our life. Whether we know it or not, these habits are really, really, really powerful. And so we are creatures of habit. I'm not sure if you've had this experience, but uh, it happened to me recently where I was in my car, dropped off uh, our kids, at, uh, our, our daughter at school, and I thought it'd be spontaneous. And I get in my car, and I, get, and I decide where I'm going to go, and I start driving, and then my phone says, it's 13 minutes to Veracruz, which is like a taco stand. And it made me think, how in the world did my phone know I was going to go there? Did anyone else have that experience where you have this moment where you think you're being spontaneous and you realize, oh no, Monday mornings I have a craving for Amiga's Taco at Veracruz and I often go there. It is like for me, it made me realize that, oh, my phone, like in a weird stalkerish way, knows a lot about me because I'm a, I'm a creature of habit like many of us. And, like, what if our phones could just tell us of other habits that we have, right? Like, I'm really exhausted right now, probably going to get into an argument with a spouse. Or, my in-law is about to come in town. How about a drink? Or, (laughs) it's 1020. Maybe time to go into worship. You know, like, just these, we're creatures of habit. Lent is a time for us to be really honest with the habits that have formed our life and to really consider if this is the life we really want to live, we feel called to live. And more importantly, Lent is a time where we disrupt our life with the habits of Christ. It's a time for us to disrupt our life with the habits of Christ where for us we look at the, at the Gospels, we look at the life of Jesus, we consider the, the habits that Jesus uh, displayed and embodied, and we consider how can we uh, seek to, to m- integrate those habits into our life today. So for this season of Lent, for us, we're going to practice the way of Jesus. This will be our sermon series for this season. And each week we're going to consider a different practice that Jesus embodied and shows us. And so uh, for us, um, we hope that you learn a lot of things throughout this, 
throughout this sermon series, throughout this season of Lent. But something that's more important for us is more than just learning things, we hope that we live differently, that we live differently because of these things, and we practice some of these spiritual disciplines, these spiritual habits, and we see how our life has changed. This first week, we're going to consider the practice of Sabbath. That, for many of us, is more obscure, obscure and uh, unfamiliar than the word Lent. <laughs> practice of Sabbath. Where did this idea of Sabbath come from? For many, the idea of Sabbath is this ultra-religious rule that people follow, only observed by those who are disconnected from reality. But the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. You can feel free to say the word Shabbat, which literally means to stop. The word Sabbath means to stop. Where is the first time we hear the word Sabbath in the Bible? The practice of the Sabbath actually begins in the beginning of all creation. After God finished six, six days of creating his, this beautiful work of forming this world and this universe, we find the very beginning of Genesis chapter 2, these words. This is Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so the seventh day he rested from all his work. It is interesting to me that in the creation account, we find that, that this rhythm of creation and blessing that God created and he blessed, that God created and he blessed, and, and uh, he said it was good, and you know, we see this. And then here on the seventh day, we find that God created this work, and on the seventh day, he almost sits back and enjoys it like a masterpiece. Go, oh. In the creation account, there's three things that God blesses. Three things. God blessed the animals and the people. It says he blessed them and uh, called them to be fruitful and to multiply. But then God here, we see that God blesses the Sabbath. If you could go back one. Uh, there you go. Uh, God blesses the Sabbath. God, God blesses the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating all he had done. It's interesting. So God blesses the seventh day. He blesses the seventh day and made it holy. It's different. It's a different kind of blessing we find in, the, in, the, in, in, in blessing the animals and the people. But we find here that God blessed the this, this seventh day and calls it holy. The first holy thing in all creation wasn't a place, but it was a period of time. The first holy thing in all of creation was the Sabbath. Many Jewish theologians, they call the Sabbath a holy temple in time. So for us, this is good news because if we want to enter into something sacred and set apart and holy, we don't have to have some bizarre pilgrimage or long a journey to experience a holy place, what we do is we have this gift of Sabbath. We, we enter into the Sabbath and we enter into God's holy presence, unique presence, regardless where we are. So we see here that, that God demonstrates the goodness of Sabbath in creation. But Sabbath was also a commandment. When God delivered His people from slavery, He let, led them in through the desert on the way to the promised land. And along the way, He gave them uh, the law, Ten Commandments. And here's something to consider. The first three commandments deal with our relationship with God. 
The first three commandments out of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with God. The last six commandments deal with our relationship with people like don't steal and kill and stuff like that. But the one in the middle, the fourth commandment, is this commandment on Sabbath. And I think it's there between our relationship with God and our relationship with others intentionally. It's a bridge. The way in which we learn to to care for others is we learn to practice the Sabbath, to enter into this holy set-apart time. This is something interesting. This isn't for, don't worry, I'm not asking you to read this. I found this interesting. This right here is the first uh, three commandments. Right here is the last six. It's interesting to me, the commandment around Sabbath is as much text as the first three and the last six. (laughs) For something that we have whittled down to not be a commandment, it seems as if in the Ten Commandments that God had a lot of emphasis on what it meant to practice the Sabbath. And we have made it, the only one, we've made it into a suggestion. I wonder if there's something to this, the amount of text that God had for us. In verse 8 of this chapter, in verse 8, it said this. I'm going to kind of whittle it down for us. Remember the Sabbath day, this is the commandment, by keeping it holy. It is the only commandment that begins with remember. Maybe so that we remember that God demonstrated, or maybe the fact that God knew that we would forget the Sabbath. It begins with the word to remember. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall do Uh, shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's a a day to stop to the Lord your God. God wanted the Israelite community to be different, to be set apart. God wanted them to remember whose they were, that they they were no longer slaves. Slaves don't have the opportunity to stop. They don't have the opportunity to experience Sabbath. So God wanted them to remember but what we've, displ- what we've displayed as, as humanity, as followers of God, we often forget the gift of Sabbath. As a nation, Israel then settled into the promised land and they started looking around at their neighbors, all the different nations that, that they didn't know any different. They didn't have these commandments. They didn't have these laws. And instead of them looking at the nation of Israel going, we want in on that, it was like the nation of Israel looked at other nations and go, why can't we live like this? Like they saw the narratives, the stories that their neighbors were living by, other nations and other people, and they began hearing the stories that we often hear in our life, like, well, if we stop and they keep going, won't they be ahead? That narrative of, of life only gives what you take, this idea of comparison and, and the contest within our neighbors. And if we take a day off and they won't, well... I mean, we even, in our own culture, we even say things like, how crazy is this that we've said this? Well, the devil doesn't take a day off, as if he's our role model now. Maybe, in fact, that's how he became the devil, because he never took a Sabbath, and he just got bad and worse and worse. Our reluctance to not abide by this blessed rhythm that God demonstrated, that God called and commanded us to, is not only a disbelief in the Sabbath, but is a disbelief in the goodness of God. Is God's word really timeless? Is, is his call for us really timeless? 
And again, out of all the Ten Commandments, how, how have we gotten to the point where we really have made this the one suggestion? The Sabbath is a commandment not because God wants us to be religious and wooden, but God wants us to experience true life. God wants the best for us. This is how we were created to exist. So as an example, there is a story that a group of pioneers, they were set out uh, for the Pacific Northwest on the Oregon Trail. Um, they were a very religious bunch, and so each Saturday they would, they would stop, they would uh, unhitch the, the mules they, from the covered wagons, they'd make a camp and they'd stay there all Sunday, and then on Monday they'd begin their journey again. But as summer waned, the days began being shorter, and the weather cooled down, they began to worry about not making it in time before winter. And so there was this conflict within the community. They ended up decided to part ways that part of them wanted to practice Sabbath and felt like they should do that. And the other part of them wanted to push on, not stopping and resting. So uh, guess who got there first? The Sabbath keepers reached their destination well before those who tried to press on. And they realized quickly that mules are not made to go 24-7, and neither are people. You were created for the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was created for you. Now, for us, we might say, well, that was for a different day, different culture, different time, not for us. Even for many of us, we would say, well, didn't Jesus come to destroy the law? So we don't have to live by that? Okay, well, let's look at the life of Jesus then. If you're familiar with the life of Jesus, you know that Jesus practiced rhythms of rest. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, he would commonly disappear in silence and solitude. Even after some of his greatest miracles where the crowds would be together, they, they would be ready to make him king. Like Jesus had this incredible ability just to ghost. Like he would just disappear even when the crowds were ready for him. They approved of him in that way. He would go missing. He might be fired from many churches because of that, right? He had an incredible ability to sleep in the most random places. Anyone else have that spiritual gift? <laughs> Amen. It's a gift right there. Even, um, even for him, he would be found in the temple on Sabbath. So he wasn't beyond like being found in the temple and worshiping on the Sabbath. So God the Father showed us that he did this in creation, and Jesus, in his own humanity, showed us that he needed rest, he needed renewal, he needed the Sabbath, that this is the way that our, our, our pioneer of faith, this is how he lived. But he, but he also redefined what Sabbath was. The problem for us in Sabbath is, is either we ignore it completely or we make it into some religious, hollow practice and experience, a religious and lifeless duty. Now, this happened when Jesus was walking in this world 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, there was a great resurgence of, of religious obedience. There was this group of people called the Pharisees who became very, very fixated on living rightly. And so they became very fixated on obeying the law and going even beyond that. But the problem was that they had a lot of religious obedience without much intimacy with God. And it led to this toxic culture. When there's religious uh, stringent obedience without much intimacy with God, this is what happens every time. There's a culture of judgment towards one another. 
there is this, this hyper-pressure um, to become showy with your religious devotion, and eventually they'll become the fruit of religious pride. There's a story actually in Matthew 12 where Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through some fields, and along the way they would pick heads of grain and they'd eat it. Now the Pharisees, they saw this and they, they chastised Jesus. How dare you break the Sabbath, Jesus? If you really were with God, you would know that you can't do that. But what they, they neglected to see is that that was their idea of the law, that was not God's law. And so what, this is what happened in that day and age. The Pharisees, they, they had such an appreciation for God's law that they, they made a list of rules around the law. They would call this a hedge, like a fence. It would, uh, this hedge would be around the law, like a list of rules that it goes beyond just obeying these Ten Commandments, but you also have to do this, you have to do that. And it's, so imagine like the fence around a national monument. Because you have such uh, respect and awe, and because of it's so beautiful and so precious, you create a fence around it. That's what they did around God's Word. They made their list of do's and don'ts around it. And not only did they do it, but they also enforced that for other people. That if you're going to follow me, then you're going to have to follow my list of rules, of do's and don'ts. And when they did that, they actually used the word a yoke. So when you put on a yoke, that meant that you are now going to obey this one Pharisee's list of rules. So if, if I look at this one Pharisee and I really trust and honor him and appreciate him, and then I want to follow him, I have to put on his yoke, his, his list of rules, and then I could follow him. So these men chastised Jesus for breaking the Sabbath and, to them, and then uh, Jesus asked them, when did God say you can't snack on the Sabbath? That's my translation. <laughs> then Jesus said this, I tell you that there's something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. And listen to this. This is in verse 8. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. What Jesus is saying is that the Sabbath actually belongs to me. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. This is what Jesus came for, is the gift of the Sabbath. And I love what comes next. Verse 9. Going on from that place, Jesus went into their synagogue. Again, Jesus, he'd be, find, he'd be found in the temple on Sabbath. This is, this is what Jesus would do. He wasn't beyond it. In verse 10. And a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. The Pharisees asked him, Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, If any of you has a sheep and falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. What was happening here is these Pharisees, they made up their list of rules, what you can and can't do on the Sabbath, and one of the lists, one, one rule on that list was you can't heal on the Sabbath, because that's work. So they, they were trying to bait Jesus with this man. And Jesus says, you know what the Sabbath is meant for? It's meant for doing good. It's meant for restoration. It's meant for renewal. That is the point of the Sabbath. 
And so this man, he was healed. How do you think the Pharisees responded? They broke out into praise towards God with great joy for this healing. Nope, that's not how they responded. Verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and they plotted how they might kill Jesus. That seems like a a law you might not want to do on the Sabbath. It's like plotting to kill someone. But you see, Jesus was taking their yoke, their list of rules, and saying, man, you have totally missed it. This is not what Sabbath is about. You have totally gone it wrong. That there's a different way of experiencing God. There's a different kind of Sabbath that's from the heart of God. This is how how Jesus meets us on Sabbath. Jesus renews us, just like that man. He renews us, brings us healing, brings us new life. This interaction for me is so helpful because Jesus would again and again challenge hollow religion. And in its place, Jesus would, would, in its place, gave the ministry of renewal and restoration. I have never noticed this before. But I, it's good when you're studying Scripture to look before and after the passage that you're studying. You want to know what happens right before these verses? It's Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Listen to these words and how these words inform what we just read. Come to me. This is what Jesus says. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and then Jesus after that we would have two stories of what Sabbath really means and how Jesus challenged and tore apart the yoke that religion was giving forth Here Jesus is saying, if you want a true yoke, if you want my yoke, my list of rules, put it on you. And it's not going to be a burden. It's not going to weigh you down. It's not going to suck life out of you. Actually, learn from me. Follow me. Follow me. Take on my my yoke. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And if you put on my yoke, if you begin to experience obedience to me, you're going to find rest That's the gift of this. Is anyone weary today? Is anyone tired today? Follow Jesus. Experience Sabbath. True Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And it it is a ministry of renewal. It's a ministry of making you whole again. That is the gift of true Sabbath. And just kind of a challenging word here. If you say you follow Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, if you call Him Lord, if you've put on His yoke and said you're going to follow Him, yet you're unfamiliar with the practice of Sabbath, you haven't fully started following Him. Because Jesus in Sabbath, this is a direct gift, a call, and a commandment for us. So let's just unpack what that might actually look like. Because I never experienced the Sabbath until recently. I never have done it until recently. So here's four practices of the Sabbath. If you want to experience what the Sabbath is, first, it's a day to stop. 
This day is sacred, which means it's different. Before we can experience the sweetness of the Sabbath, we must set this day apart. That begins with stopping. Whatever drives the rest of your week, on this day, stop. So, for example, uh, my Sabbath is Friday. On Fridays, you probably won't receive an email from me, unless it's automated. You won't have maybe a a text from me or a call. Why? Because I need to stop. And one of the things that drives my week is technology. So I've started this new practice. There's actually, there's like a button on the side of your phone. And if you hold, just follow me on this. If you hold it down long enough and slide an icon to the right, your phone is starting to shut down. But just to give you like one last like little image to remind you, it'll show you an apple with a bite out of it. Remember the Genesis story? This is to remind you this thing is evil, right? <laughs> Just the last thing it will show you. No, it's, uh, I'm not anti-technology, uh, but I see how technology drives my days. So on Sabbath, I stop. I've wondered often, I've heard many of people ask, why, I wonder why God isn't speaking. Why doesn't God speak to me? And I wonder if the issue is not as much if God isn't speaking. I wonder if we have space and silence in our days to hear God speak to us. That, for me, is part of the gift of Sabbath, to attune my heart and my ears to the gentle voice of God. We must learn to stop. Now, the biggest response I have internally, I know we have in our culture is like, who has the time to stop? Right? Like the, the reason I'm weary and exhausted is I've got too much stuff to do. What I would say to that is begin where you are, wherever you are, wherever you can find margin, try that. So if it's Thursday evenings, do Thursday evenings. If it's Saturday mornings, do that. Just do it. Meet with God there and maybe allow God to expand that time as He shows you. But just a warning it will take great sacrifice and faith to guard it, I, it won't come naturally. This time is made, it is not found. Again, like this is really important for the idea of Sabbath. The time for Sabbath is made, it is not found. You're not going to stumble onto it. You're going to have with great discipline and faith, set out this time to stop. And once you do it, to protect it. For those who are married, this is a communal decision. It's not a good idea to be like, I, sorry, sorry babe, Saturday mornings is my Sabbath. I don't see the kids. I need to meet with the Lord. It's not a good idea. It's a, Sabbath has always been, if you look at and study Sabbath, it is always a communal decision. Why? Because we have to do it together. And so you'll have to figure out what does it look like for your home, your family, your marriage, whatever, to practice Sabbath together. And just one last warning about stopping is I am the most irritable on the Sabbath. I am testimony right there. My wife is raising her hand. It, I, I find myself when I stop, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to stop. And oftentimes I get really irritable because the rest of my life is so busied and hurried and measured that just to be is a foreign concept. But I hope I'm growing. Once you stop, then secondly, you rest. I believe rest is an act of faith. We live in a culture that weighs the goodness of our days by how much we produce. Amen? 
Like how much I got stuff done. Oh, what a good day. I really knocked off a lot of things off my to-do list. But the Sabbath is something totally different. It's where you actually have to exercise faith in resting. That means a really guilt-free nap. It means to hold down a hammock for a while and daydream with God. A Sabbath day is a day where we show that life is not judged by those things, but it's judged by a different scales about who we are with and who we are at the, our very core. That does not have anything to do with what we produce and how efficient our day is. We cannot be renewed if we don't stop and rest. It's a sad thing, a sad truth in our culture. If we continue to not rest, continue not to stop, our bodies will let us know of that. It's a sad thing in our culture, but sickness has become our Sabbath. When we haven't found the rhythms of rest and stopping renewal, our bodies will make us. That is not what God has for us. When we run ragged and our bodies shut down, I think it's as if our bodies are saying, I was not created for this. But if we've learned the rhythm of stopping and resting, then we have capacity to delight. That's the third thing we do on the Sabbath. Sabbath is a gift. It is a good gift. It's not a rule-bound, lifeless duty where our souls are just being torn apart. It is actually where we're being filled up again. <clears throat> so a major question for practicing Sabbath is, in what do you have delight? What fills your soul? Each of us are created differently, but the Sabbath is a day to schedule whatever fuels your soul. So for some, a jog might be a delight. For others, maybe gardening or cooking. For other people, the last thing you need to do is a jog or to garden or to cook. That's like not delight. That's not life-giving. Whatever it is for you, the Sabbath is a day to experience full delight. A picture for Sabbath that I have is a very unfamiliar thing, but when I would wake up as a kid and it was a snow day, Oh, that's like, that's a picture of what Sabbath should be. When you crack open your blinds and like for whatever reason in Dallas, Texas, where I grew up, it's a winter wonderland and you're like, school is canceled. You run out, you scarf your breakfast, you throw on a coat, you run outside, your mom's screaming at you to put on toboggan. You don't even know if you have a toboggan. You go out and you spend all morning long making snow angels and uh, snowmen playing with your neighbors all before noon because it will turn into slush very quickly, right? And uh, then after that, you, you go inside, you sit by the fire, you have hot cocoa, you hang out with your family. That right there should be a picture of Sabbath. It's a day of joy and delight. It's a day of intimacy. Take that idea into Sabbath. So for me, what just as an example, what's that look like for me? So on my Sabbath, when it goes well, it doesn't always go well, but on my Sabbath, when it goes well, I wake up, and I have a particular mug I save for the Sabbath, for, for my Fridays, and I use that mug, and I have like two or three cups of coffee. It's awesome. After that, I go outside. Uh, we have a very slow-paced day. When the kids nap, I nap. I have my pajama pants on all day long. That night, we're going to have a family movie night usually. We make cookies. The whole time, my phone is shut off. I don't allow the newsreel of our day to, to interrupt our Sabbath. Um, 
I don't allow that. It's shut, it's shut down. On a good Sabbath, there's yard games involved. There's queso involved. There's sitting on the back porch. I leave my Sabbath with a sense of delight. I go into the rest of my week looking back at Sabbath going, oh, that was so good. And the, later on in the week, I, I know I can, I can hold on because Sabbath is coming. A day of delight. It's a gift. Doesn't that sound nice? I mean, I know that maybe just take away queso or something, but doesn't that sound nice for you? That's what Sabbath is meant to be. It's a day of joy. So we stop, we rest, and we delight because there's also something more. On the Sabbath, we also worship. Sabbath and the experience of worship is incredibly linked. It's a day where we stop and rest and delight knowing that God loves to see renewed Therefore, on this day, we're going to spend time with God. We're going to spend time in Scripture, in prayer or devotion. Again, daydreaming with God. For me, my times of prayer are usually with a walk. I, I like to walk and, and pray. Um, or I'm, I spend my time in prayer while I'm in the yard. The Sunday is a Sabbath for many people. And so you come to church with this idea of meeting with God in this time, in this place. It's a day that's sacred. But do you notice here there's a progression that we must stop before we rest, and as we rest, as we slow down, then we start experiencing delight? You know, like when you've actually stopped and you're sitting on your back porch and you see birds, you're like, ah, oh, that's cool. I didn't know we had birds like that here. And all of a sudden you start seeing the beauty that's common in your life, but you're, to you're so busy you can't see it. And what do you do once you see beauty and goodness and delight. You, your souls are so filled, you have to go somewhere with it. So you go, oh, thank you, God. Thank you for the beauty of your creation. Thank you, God, for the space where I can be made whole again. Thank you, God, for the relationships you've put in my life. So I know I'm not alone. Thank you, God, for the gift of this day. It leads to worship because the Lord Christ, he is the Lord of the Sabbath for the sacred day. I'm so passionate about the Sabbath, not only because we need it in our world today, but because it teaches us about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Remember, what day was the Sabbath in, crea in the creation account? Seventh day. What day was humanity created? Sixth day. So just think about this for a second. What was the first day that Ab and Eve ever experienced? It was the Sabbath. That's where our stories begin. It was a day of resting with their creator. It was a day of intimacy and delight when the world was as it should have been. It was a day of goodness and of joy and of intimacy. That was the beginning of our story. And I think perhaps this teaches us about the gospel for us, that our lives should have that same rhythm beginning and stopping with God. When we begin our week and we stop and we rest and we light with God, it teaches us about grace. Because we think that Sabbath is something we earn. Intimacy with God is something we earn. But in fact, it's where we begin. The gift and the grace of God always goes before anything we ever do. And it's from an overflow. It's from the response of that goodness that we then leave Sabbath to work. We then leave Sabbath to go and do good in this world. We then leave Sabbath to play our part. But it's only after we have experienced delight and joy with your Creator 
That's the rhythm. And our world has it out of sync. That we have to earn it and then receive it. And what Sabbath teaches us is that grace goes and always goes before our work in the world. Because on the Sabbath, we remember that we are already saved, we're already embraced, we're already renewed. We stop on the Sabbath so that God can do His work in us. And once we've experienced it, we've experienced the gospel. Our life begins with Sabbath. Our week begins with Sabbath. Jesus might come into this room and ask a simple question. Anyone tired? Anyone weary? Take off the yoke from this world. Take off its demands for you in 24-7 living. Take off the busyness. Take off the noise of this world. And then take on my yoke. It's light. It's going to fit you perfectly. Come to me and rest. But the actual Greek in that come to me and rest was is I am going to rest you. Anyone weary, tired, come to me, and I will rest you. It's something that I am going to do for you. So if that is your soul today, stop, rest, delight, and worship your Savior. So for this season of Lent, we're going to begin with a practice. We're going to begin by stopping. Does that sound good to you?